0: Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about the 2020 federal uh, budget, which was handed down on the 6th of October. Uh, The budget was certainly aimed at business rather than individuals. In fact, I would say that there's really very few uh, things that impact uh, individuals but what I'd like to talk about is, uh, what is what are some of the side effects? Because obviously, if we're helping business and therefore jobs in the economy, um, that is naturally likely to help property and share markets as well. Uh, and so we get to sort of benefit, I guess, to, to some degree indirectly as a result of that. Uh, but before I talk about that, let's talk about what was in the budget, um, both for individuals and also separately for businesses. So for individuals, the main issue were income tax cuts, um, and they kick in from 1 July 2020. Uh, so you've already had them, although you haven't uh, enjoyed the benefits yet, but it certainly means that you'll pay less tax this year. Uh, on someone that earns $40,000, will save $1,000, uh, which might not sound like a lot, but it's about 21% of the, the tax that they are otherwise would have paid, uh, so a pretty considerable saving. For someone that uh, earns $100,000, it's close to $2,500. Uh, and it peaks out at 120000 which is $2,745. Uh, so maybe an extra couple of grand in your pocket. Uh, for most, of, certainly of our clients, it's not really going to change their life very much. Um, but what it will do is uh, stimulate the economy. So an, an income tax cut like this... Um, really doesn't change uh, very much at all from an individual perspective. It doesn't necessarily mean, well, we need to go and invest in property or not, or contribute to super. You know, there's no financial planning consequences necessarily of a a, a change like this. But if you change the tax rate for 15 million taxpayers, and there's about 15 million taxpayers in Australia, uh, and even if it's only a little bit, all that money dribbles back into the economy. And so the compounding impact of that, um, uh, is is favourable. Uh, there was just a, a handful of other sort of measures in the budget. Um, interestingly enough, granny flats will now be exempt from CGT uh, if there's a formal written agreement in place uh, and you're uh, housing uh, either older Australians or disabled people. Um, uh, normally or previously, uh, uh, renting out a granny flat on your home uh, would have attracted capital gains tax. Uh, They're relaxing the um, qualification criteria for parental leave, Uh, so in order to qualify for that, you must have worked uh, uh, 10 out of the last 20 months, uh, whereas it used to be 10 out of the last 13 months. So again, just to provide for the impact of COVID there. Uh, The government's uh, making available an extra 10,000 first home deposit loan scheme guarantees uh, this financial year. Um, uh, the first home loan deposit scheme guarantee uh, essentially means that the government guarantees first home buyer debt, uh, and uh, potentially allows them to borrow ninety five percent, but then also avoid the cost of mortgage insurance. Um, so it's a it's a pretty good um, uh, scheme, but in the in the whole excuse the pun scheme of things, uh, it's really not going to change or do much to the property market, nor really help you know, a a significant volume of first-home buyers. Uh, And the last one is they're going to make a few changes to super, more around the regulation and accountability. Uh, The first one is that they will um, sort of staple, that's the word that they used, your uh, superannuation account to your tax file number. So if you change jobs and don't nominate an alternative fund, uh, your employer can use your existing funds. So that'll just stop um, the situation where people end up accumulating a whole bunch of different super accounts across different super funds uh, just as a result of changing jobs regularly. Uh, so I think that's a, that's a good one. Uh, they're going to take uh, some measures to improve what they say, the accountability and transparency of super funds. I think this is mainly aimed at the industry super fund sector. So they're going to have a MySuper website where people can jump on and sort of rank investment returns and fees Uh, And then also be some reporting in terms of underperformance, in terms of fees and so forth. So certainly creating more transparency in that sector, which is fantastic. Um, uh, But uh, the proof will be in the implementation. So let's see how that works out. Uh, Interestingly enough, there wasn't any talk about postponing the increase in superannuation guarantee charge. So that's the 9.5% compulsory super contributions that your employer must make on your behalf. On 1 July 2021, so next year, that increases to 10% and it increases uh, by half a percent up to 12, I think it is, uh, 12% that is. Um, And there was talk about potentially the government postponing that increase, that businesses wouldn't uh, be able to afford that extra half a percent uh, superannuation guarantee. In any case, uh, at least at this stage, it looks like it stands Uh, So no change there. So that's all that really... I mean, there's some uh, little sort of smaller rats and mice sort of stuff, but that's really the main guts of uh, the impact for individuals. Um, So certainly if you don't have a granny flat, if you're not contemplating parental leave, um, then there's really not much in it for you directly. Um, But there were a a number of very uh, significant business incentives uh, and just to mention, sort of the top five, I guess, is uh, the first one is that you can uh, businesses can have a full write off of any capital expenses um, uh, that are that are incurred before thirty June twenty twenty two, and uh, as long as the business's turnover is less than five billion, so I mean that's substantial. You know, it's really aimed at very large businesses. There's no cap on the write off, so essentially that means. Uh, A very large business can go out and buy an asset, make an investment, make an improvement to their business, uh, and they'll get a full tax deduction for the full cost rather than depreciating it over sometimes 20 years or or longer. Um, So a really significant tax incentive there for businesses to bring forward investment. And the fact that there's no cap on that, um, certainly what they're trying to do is then aim at very, very big businesses that have the pockets and the... The, the financing to be able to um, make these investments. Uh, of course, when when a business makes an investment of that size, uh, typically it creates jobs as a result of, of doing that. So that that's a pretty substantial. I mean, if you're going to do anything to get businesses to uh, invest, uh, that that'll probably do it. Uh, the loss carryback uh, provisions mean that. Um, If a business makes a loss in uh, this financial year or next, uh, they can offset that against prior year profits. So if they made a profit in 1819 or 1920 and they pay tax on that profit in those years, or if they make a loss, they can get that tax back. Um, And I think this is a, a really good one, particularly aimed at sectors that have been heavily impacted. So if you've had a tourism business, You might have uh, made a decent profit last financial year. You've paid your tax. Uh, Accordingly, then you made a big loss this year. One way for the government to kind of help you through that period is to give you back the tax that you paid last year. So I think that's a pretty good one. Um, There's then a couple of incentives for um, employing people, particularly younger people. So apprentices, uh, if businesses hire an apprentice uh, over the next year, um, they'll be able to claim a reimbursement of up to 50%, up to a maximum of $7,000 per quarter. Uh, so that's great. Uh, and then there's uh, incentive for younger, uh, hiring younger people. So if you hire someone between uh, 16 and 29, they work 20 hours a week, uh, you will receive uh, $200 a week incentive um, for, for the next year. Uh, so, I mean, COVID has impacted younger people to a much greater extent, uh, and it's great to see that uh, the government do something in the budget for that. Uh, also, that extends to people aged 30 to 35. It's tiered it's, uh, so it back to $100 a week. And finally, the government's going to uh, take some steps to reduce uh, fringe benefit tax re- record-keeping. Uh, no big deals there, but um, just probably a little common sense. Uh, so that's it for business. pretty significant, uh, very much aimed at uh, creating jobs. Uh, and creating jobs uh, helps the economy, helps the share market and consequently helps the property market as well. Um, but before I talk, talk about that, um, uh, let's look at some Treasury forecasts. So what are they predicting? Uh, at least the, what, what's Treasury, the government predicting what the economy is going to do? Uh, well, the good news is that these incentives are likely to have a pretty substantial impact on GDP growth, which is really the measure of economic activity and next financial year, they think GDP will grow by 4.75%, so nearly 5%. That's a substantial uh, growth rate. Admittedly off a lower base because they predict GDP this financial year will actually decline 1.5%. So it's gone down and then sort of recovered that plus some. Uh, so that's positive. Not sure if you call that a V-shaped recovery you know, over a sort of two-year period, but a pretty strong recovery I think you'd describe it as. Uh, in terms of unemployment, uh, by June next year, they think the unemployment rate will be seven and a quarter percent, and it will take until June twenty twenty four for it to fall back to five and a half percent. It was around 5.2%, 5.3% percent pre COVID. Uh, so again, in terms of unemployment, it will take some time for people to get back in jobs, and most particularly, I think it's probably those sectors like travel and tourism. Uh, particularly that's waiting for international travel to really bounce back. Uh, So I think it will be very sector specific. Um, I think there'll be uh, the vast majority of sectors will bounce back uh, a lot quicker and a lot stronger than that. Uh, In terms of government debt, uh, it was around about 25% of GDP uh, at June this year. Uh, It will uh, rise to about 40% of GDP by June 2020. Um, That's still pretty low by global standards. Uh, The US is well over 100%. The UK is about 100% of GDP. Um, So really, by comparison to other developed economies, our debt is low, although uh, certainly from our perspective and historic perspective, uh, it doesn't seem like that way. Uh, So let's talk about the impact then on the share market, for example, uh, so what do I think these, uh, because if there's nothing in there in the budget for you for you as an individual, what impact will it have on any share investments which of course include superannuation? Uh, Well, I think, uh, firstly, that the banks, the big four banks have been certainly smashed. I mean, the share prices have been smashed as a result of COVID, although they've played a very important role with loan deferrals, uh, rolling out much cheaper funding through fixed rates, these sorts of things to help the country through, um, uh, through this COVID period. Um, but the concerns are around, you know, loan pauses, uh, defaults, uh, mass selling, all these sorts of things. Although I think some of those, those concerns have abated uh, for a bit of, uh, over, over recent weeks. Uh, but the big four banks make up about 17.6% of the ASX 200 index. Uh, so they account for a considerable mar- uh, amount of the market. Um, but two years ago, the banks uh, accounted for 23.5%. So it's gone from 235 to 17.5% in terms of the size of the big four banks compared to the broader market. Uh, so that just illustrates, I think, to to a great extent, uh, the impacts of, on share price um, that, that, that COVID has uh, occurred. But also it suggests or, or demonstrates that the uh, Aussie market's rebound is very much uh, dependent on the banks rebounding, and I think that the personal income tax uh, cuts, the the business employment incentives, the business investment incentives, and in particular what I talked about last week, the relaxing relaxing of mortgage lending, will greatly assist the banks in this recovery. And I think I'm I would be probably described, particularly in context of of, of general opinion out there, as a bull in respect to the banks. Um, Having worked in that sector, you know, run a mortgage broking business for nearly 20 years, I certainly appreciate the the power, the distribution power and the brand power that the big four banks have. Uh, And really, if you have a look at what's driven their profit over the last 40 years, it has certainly been residential mortgages. Um, uh, wealth management has been a utter distraction over the last 20 to 30 years and and has resulted in substantial remediation costs uh, of late. Um, But now that they've exited those wealth businesses, uh, what it'll mean is that the retail banking will get 100% of the banker's focus and I think they can go back to generating substantial margins and substantial business. So it is my view that the banks, uh, that this... Budget will help the banks recover, uh, and it's my view that uh, uh, that they will recover over the coming years, uh, and that's what's really going to stimulate the um, the share market recovery. So, so positive signs generally. If you have a look at the economy, ANZ releases publishes, I think, on a weekly basis some credit card spending data, uh, so they're able to look across their customer base and see where what what, there's, what their customers are spending, how much on what, and on what. Uh, and on what. Um, and the really pleasing thing is that uh, spending is very, has been very resilient. It's either the same or higher than what it was last year, uh, ex- except for Victoria, of course, because uh, Victoria's in stage four lockdowns. Um, uh, so that's, that's positive. Like, people are out there spending uh, and they've got the confidence to spend. And even Victoria's spending has ticked up over the last few weeks, uh, certainly off its uh, stage four lockdown lows. So that's recovering too. And whilst there's a whole cohort of people that have been substantially affected by COVID, there's another equally large or larger cohort that hasn't, that has more money in the bank today and has the spending power to recover and they can more than make up for that cohort that has been impacted. So the good thing is that the underlying core of the economy, which is consumer spending, is very robust and it's still present, still there. So Um, Whilst we might not see a dramatic V-shaped recovery, um, I think we'll see something very close to a dramatic V-shaped recovery. So great news for the share market, at least longer term. Um, uh, Of course, the share market is going to be impacted by some global uh, events, particularly the US election and the volatility that might come out of there, particularly if there's no uh, clear winner, if there's a challenge there, which, uh, I mean, who, who knows? I mean, I think people have probably stopped predicting what might happen uh, in US politics uh, some, some time ago, and if they haven't, they should. Uh, in terms of the property market, I wrote a piece in The Australian uh, on Saturday where I cited a number of reasons why I think that the million-dollar-plus property sector will lead the uh, property recovery. And the main reason for that is very low interest rates and, and people that are buying multi-million dollar properties tend to have higher than average mortgages. Um, and really the cost of uh, borrowing a million dollars is about a third of what it was, uh, say, close to 10 years ago. Uh, and then also, you know, those higher income earners that are buying those properties uh, have been less impacted by COVID because their occupation lends itself, uh, lends itself more to working from home compared to, say, a cleaner you know, or, or something of that, or, or someone in construction, they, they can't do their work from home. Um, and there's a, there's a whole host of other reasons why I think that market will boom. So I think if you're, if you've got a property in that sort of inner city blue chip, um, inner ring sort of uh, suburbs, or uh, in some regional centres that offer both a, uh, uh, a balance, the convenience of working from home, but also some other lifestyle benefits. Uh, so somewhere down the coast, for example, we can be by the beach, but it's also not too much of a, a travel into the city when, if, if and when you need to do that. I think those locations will also um, benefit from significant increase in demand. And I note that there's really in those locations almost zero stock available for, uh, for sale. Um, so I think those two sectors will do the best. Um, uh, locations that are dominated by lower income earners, I think they might lag in the recovery uh, and certainly some sectors like inner city apartments that's that's very much uh, struggling student accommodation. So there'll be some sectors that will be um, will have a pretty rough time over the next couple of years and then some sectors will do well. but as a broad um, view, I think that the property market's in pretty good shape. Uh, so there you go. That's a a, a reasonable summation, I guess, of the, uh, the budget. There's not much in it, probably for you and me, um, uh, but the positives to take out of it is that the Australian economy is pretty robust, that this will help in the recovery, and that doing so will help our uh, superannuation, our share returns, and our property investment returns also. Okay, so that's it for me this week. Uh, until next week, bye for now.